0: I recently finished the autobiography of Martin Luther King, and you might think that's an odd way to start off, but there was something in there that um, really inspired me. Uh, I want to talk today about our victory over the enemy. I'm going to do a series that starts today and next week, and then I'm going to finish after Father's Day on the 24th. So. I'm just kind of setting the table this morning. But uh, reading about uh, the mindset of segregation and the, the weight and the oppression that uh, black people were under in the Deep South was not unlike the oppression that we feel from the enemy, from the devil. He said that... Uh, Segregation was like a festering sore. It was basically evil. And Martin Luther King was a very well-educated man. And that's how his speeches were, came out so eloquent is because he was so well-educated in uh, philosophy and Christian philosophy and all those things. And what happened is he, the, his education in the scriptures and philosophically dovetailed with our founding documents. And there was an awakening happening in the South, and especially with him, that he realized, wait a minute, we don't have to live like this. We know who we are. We're human beings. We have rights. Anyway, there was this great awakening in him. Uh, and you know, how many you know freedom has its roots in Scripture, you know? I sang about it this morning. John just hit the mark today. But he said, <clears throat> he recalled one time when... They were watching TV and there was an advertisement for an amusement park, and his five-year-old daughter was so interested in going, but he had to tell her that black people weren't allowed to go to that place. And he said, as I tried to tell her how this worked, he said, I could see the ominous clouds of inferiority beginning to form in her little mental sky. And up to that time, she was able to think that she was a normal person, but there was this weight of oppression that began to settle over her life that he had lived with, but he was sorry to see that happen. So, it was, uh, life for black people was, you you just kept your head down and you didn't try to make waves, yes sir, yes ma'am, and even as people called you derogatory terms. And so there was this overriding sense of inferiority that that's why uh, segregation was able to thrive for so long because people just lived like that. And I say all that to say there's a parallel with us as Christians when we talk about the kingdom of darkness and, and the enemy that I think some of us have some sense of inferiority, we're also we're always feeling like we're playing defense. I grew up with a... Uh, I think we all maybe in pockets of our lives grew up with some sense of inferiority. We feel maybe self-conscious about our looks or um, the way we were raised or uh, maybe being from a broken home or maybe substance abuse, whatever, whatever path your life has taken that there's this often an overriding sense of I don't measure up. If people really knew who I was, you know, am I talking to the right people this morning? Um, I was, I'm one of 13 children. We were really quite poor. I mean, I didn't starve to death, but you would have thought so looking at me. No lie. Um, As a kid, you know, we'd be out playing and, you know, uh, wearing hardly any clothes in summer. There were times, though, when uh, I wore my shoes one last Sunday to church and put cardboard in the soles. And then after church, I had, you know, threw my shoes in the garbage. And I literally didn't have a pair of shoes to my name until next Friday when my dad got paid, you know. it, It was just life. But... I was, I was just skinny, and it wasn't because my parents didn't feed me, although we weren't allowed to snack and everything, but uh, if I was out doing stuff and I ran in the house for a drink of water and dug out a drink of water, I could take my pulse by standing in front of the mirror because I could see my heart beating right here between my ribs. You know, we are just so... <laughs> I was just skinny as a rail. And uh, so I went to... Uh, uh, a boys prep school where football was the big thing. We were state champions a number of years. And I just was not athletic, I was skinny, I was self-conscious, and uh, I worked sweeping floors after school to pay my tuition because it was a private school. My dad was a, a fairly angry man. He'd go from almost bipolar, being in a good mood, and then start calling you names and swearing at you, you know, he was just really quite cruel to my mother at times. And I, and I was saying all this, not for you to feel sorry for me, but that I realized that I'd grown up with a, a sense of inferiority, that I, even as I was a graphic artist, and fine artist, and even my artwork, I wasn't really quite sure it, measured up. You see how this mindset just kind of takes hold and it carries over. Has anybody ever had those issues? Any, am I talking to the right people? And so this whole sense of inferiority and playing defense and not quite measuring up it carries over into our spiritual life. And so in Romans 7, Paul says, you know, the things that I don't want to do, I do, and the things I do, I don't want to do. And there's this, this tension all the time. I don't... Who's gonna save me from this law of of sin and death? And uh, thanks be to God, he says. And then he goes on in Romans 8 to say, there's therefore now no condemnation. And we had, uh, it was wonderful to experience the renewal that birthed somewhere around the mid-90s It carried on for a while. It really helped me see how big God was. And there was, it was almost like this awakening that Martin Luther King experienced. Like, wait a minute, I'm a human being. I have rights. It's in our founding documents. Hey, it's in my Bible. Hey, we discovered how big God was and how, how small the devil was in comparison. And there was just this awakening that went on. But uh, anyway, I, th- I feel like sometimes we uh, live... Uh, with unnecessary fear and anxiety because we've, we don't have a proper understanding of who the devil is. And so the title this morning is to know your enemy. How many of you know that uh, the Cavs and the Warriors are watching tape because they want to know their enemy? And I guess there's hockey playoffs going on, is that right? I, I don't pay attention to hockey, but same thing. They're watching tape and they're, they're going to they're gonna figure out how to get an advantage. And I believe that we as Christians need to know who our enemy is and what he can do and can't do. Because I think sometimes we think that the devil is bigger and more powerful than he really is, and we end up playing defense. So anyway, that's where I'm going this morning. And if you've heard all this before, just pray for the rest of us that need to hear it again, okay? But it's important to know what you believe. It's important to know what you believe about the end times, about uh, whether the Bible is really God's word, uh, what you believe about grace and all these things, because what you believe is going to dictate your destiny. How you think and how you view the world, even your self-image and how you think about yourself, it's going to dictate your destiny. So these things are important to know because uh, it's, it's important to know what the the Bible says. What I believe will control me, whether it's true or not. Okay? What I believe will control me, whether it's true or not. And so my goal over the next, uh, these three three weeks or three messages is to establish what is true regarding the devil and what is false so that we can walk in faith, that we can be, bold and we can stand up for ourselves and we don't have to play defense. And so let's begin here. Slide number 2 or whatever how you've got them numbered Ephraim, thank you. The Bible plainly warns us of the battle that we face with Lucifer, Satan, the devil and his demonic forces. These spirit beings are opposed to God and are dedicated to destroying God's plan for his church. And so in Ephesians 6, uh, I don't know if I've got it all written out there, but you might want to turn to some of these scriptures and, and look at them and read them, and we'll be coming back to Ephesians 6 at the end. But it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In other words, God's intention was that we can stand. Bruce Taylor, is that you? My gosh, I missed you. Good to see you. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. In other words, God's going to give us what we need to be able to stand. And then 1 Peter chapter 5, verse, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. In other words, we need to know what we're dealing with here. Be sober-minded, be watchful, not paranoid, I might add, not cowering in fear, just be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to, me- to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So historically, there have been extremes. I, I like to say two, but there's really three extremes when it comes to approaching this subject of Satan. The first one is that there can be an overemphasis on Satan and his forces and believing that he has too much power. Uh, the danger is that we can get so demon conscious that we're not even we put less time into pursuing God, and and understanding what the Bible says. And you can get preoccupied with the demonic. Sometimes people that it, they don't have a life and they feel empowered by dealing with demonic forces and the darkness all the time, and they they you know kind of gives them some purpose in life, I guess. But uh, you can get so demon conscious that you're not even aware of God, and that's, that's, that's wrong. Because Satan likes attention. He'll stir things up if you get give, give him lots, lots of attention. And the other extreme is denying or ignoring the devil's existence and power, that he's harmless. I'm not sure where the Pope is on this. I know he made a statement not too long ago that he, didn't, he wasn't sure about the devil and kind of caused some confusion But the third approach, and it's not necessarily extreme, it's like God and the devil are are in this arm wrestling contest and they're set and we're just not quite sure how it's gonna go, that they're kind of equal in power and uh, so there's this always more intention, but uh, I think we know the answer to that. I think God is bigger than the devil and uh, we'll get to that here in a bit. So the correct approach to when we talk about the demonic or the dark side or however you want to define it is we want to believe what the Bible says about it. You know, uh, this might seem like a dark subject for a Sunday morning, you know, it, you know, we want to be about hope and inspiring people and you want to feel good when you leave and all that. But you know, Jesus wasn't always dealing with the happy clappy subjects, you know, in the Bible. It wasn't all just happy clappy. It was like, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You know, you're of your father the devil. You know, I mean, he, was, he threw some furniture around. You know, he, was, he got agitated once in a while. It, he wasn't all, always just kind, gentle Jesus. But nevertheless, I think in the end, we're going to find that this is quite a, a quite positive subject. A supernatural experience should never trump the Bible. I think you've heard of weird stuff going on or haunted houses and, you know, there's just got mixed up with a Ouija board and weird stuff happened and, you know, and, and those things, there are doors that open, that you can open up. But sometimes Aunt Minnie's story about what happened back in the day might not necessarily measure up with Scripture and so the Bible has to be our guide here, there's a danger in being experience-oriented and that uh, it can affect your belief structure. So we wanna never let, if you can think of any experience or any history that you may have, never let any supernatural manifestation lead you to depart from what the scripture says. And we'll talk about this, I think, next week, but you know, the devil is a deceiver. He'll try to fool you into believing the wrong stuff, so we don't wanna go there. There's two basic passages that we're gonna read, so you might wanna turn to those because they're not on your slides. Two basic scriptures that, and I'll read them today so we don't have to reread them later, but they're fairly extensive. Uh, The first one is found in Isaiah 14. And it refers to the king of Babylon, and there's some po- poetic license here. He's describing the king of Babylon, but he's also describing a, a demonic force. I think uh, it would be easy to characterize, let's say, uh, the Parkland High School shooting with something that was demonic in nature, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, and that's one reason why, another reason why I thought. We should approach, there's a lot of heavy-duty demonic things going on in the world today. in some of the Muslim nations where they're throwing gay people off of buildings and, you know, terror itself is demonic. And uh, uh, the mass epidemic, opioids, All there's a lot of heavy-duty demonic dark stuff going on and we need to know what we're dealing with. But Isaiah 14, dealing with the king of Babylon but also describing the enemy. How you were fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, you are to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? It's said of Smith Wigglesworth, a, a man of God who had tremendous healing ministry. At one point he woke up and there was some kind of demonic presence at the foot of his bed and he kinda came to and woke up and said, oh, it's you, (laughs) and went back to sleep, turned over and went back to sleep. Uh, Is this the man who made the earth tremble? It's almost like the Wizard of Oz movie, you know, where you've got this great Oz and it turns out that it's this, this little guy behind a curtain manipulating all this stuff, you know. And that's basically the sentiment here. And then Ezekiel twenty-eight verse twelve. This is a uh, address to the king of Tyre, but also again s- speaking of the devil. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, "Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God." Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. What the heck is a carbuncle? Anyway, and crafted in gold you, were, you were, uh, were your settings and your engravings. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed cherub, an anointed guardian cherub. I, I placed you You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples were appalled at you, you have, become to, you have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Let's just summarize a few things. I mean, there's just a whole lot here, but I don't want to get into the tall weeds this morning. Uh, so what do these verses tell us about Satan and his kingdom? Let's, let's look at just where he came from uh, to begin with. And he was, first of all, created by God. He owes his existence to God. Satan is actually subject to God's control, okay? Secondly, his name was Lucifer, meaning light bearer. Morning star, son of the dawn. It says uh, in 2 Corinthians 11:14 14, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Oh, I'm harmless, this is good, this is not a big deal, and the door is open, and that's where a lot of uh, false religions come in, is Satan appears as an angel of light. His primary weapon is deception, and so he will pass himself off as an angel of light. Uh, in the Garden of Eden, oh, hey, you can eat this fruit. There's nothing wrong here from this tree. Hey, go ahead, It'll just this will be good for you. You'll see. Thirdly, he was full of wisdom. He was beautiful. That's The, he was dre- the precious stones are just an attempt to describe how beautiful he was. He was an anointed guardian cherub placed by God in a prominent position. And I think uh, it's, he was musical. Is that right, John? Um, it's in there subtly, but it's there. Ask John about that, he, he would know. So how would you like to be wise, beautiful, and music, musically talented, you know? I think everybody would. But anyway, he fell. So this is, this is, let's look at his fall. His heart became proud because of his beauty. You handsome devil, you. Yeah, oh. <laughs> he thought he was hot stuff, ha, ha, ha. He was created with a free will. That's interesting. These uh, angels were created with a free will. We were created with a free will. God, want, God is love. God wanted authentic love. He wasn't looking for mind-numb robots that could only love him. He, wanted a, he gave us a choice. He gave us a free will so that we could choose to love him. Don't you want to be loved, like, authentically? You don't want to... You don't want to be loved like your dog loves you, you know. <laughs> yeah, because you feed me, you know. It, it, there's, uh, God wanted us to respond to him in love. We're not, we're, not, we're not programmed to love him. And so these angels were given a free will. Thirdly, he exalted himself. There's the five I wills of Isaiah. The first sin committed was Pride which resulted from focusing on self. Most sin is, is focused on self-centeredness. Even look at a six-month-old baby. That's all they know is me, feed me. I'm uncomfortable, whatever. And parents, it, it's really, you have to under, come to grips with the fact that that sweet little thing, Nikki, is born with a sin nature. And she's gonna give you a run for your money, you know? <laughs> And until she comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus, we've got to curb, and actually even after that, we've got to curb that self-centeredness. We need, as parents, we have a responsibility to curb that self-will. That was a light bulb that went on when my oldest daughter, Becky, was nine months old. She has a sin nature. I mean, it just changed everything. Oh, what that, I don't care what, how cute that little pink dress is, honey, we're going to curb that sin nature totally self-centered and in contrast to Philippians 2 5 where Jesus being God humbled himself and took on the form of a servant do you see how opposite that that pride is I will I will ascend it's all about me and fourthly his wisdom was corrupted when he fell and he was cast out of heaven James chapter 3 verses 14 through 17 talks about two kinds of wisdom and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I think we can tell when something is from God or not. You know? Let's talk, uh, talk about uh, Satan's domain. The extent of the kingdom of darkness is limited. And, and I'm just going to make some statements here, but just, just so you know, I've got Bible for this, okay? Just trust me. The ex. <laughs> The extent of the kingdom of darkness is limited. Satan is not omnipresent. He is not omnipotent or omniscient. He's not, did I say omnipresent? Satan is not sovereign. He does not have all authority and all power. Sometimes I think, like I said, we think he and God are just having this arm wrestling contest and they're both just as powerful as the other. The scriptures also do not support the idea that every sickness comes from the devil. uh, Or that he can make you sick any time that he wants to. Uh, That's why we intercede for people. We pray. We pray hedges of protection around our family. We're going to be praying for Dusty and Arlena for the trip. He does not cause every sickness or physical affliction. He does cause some, and he's able to cause some. Jesus actually uh, cast demons out of people in the process of healing them. There were some instances where the sickness was brought on by a demon, but the devil just can't make you sick anytime he wants to. Uh, he, he can't do that. Satan's influence is limited in scope. He is subject to God's control. He can't do everything he wants to do at his will, and he does not have total access. He is basically a dog on a leash. Now, I understand that sometimes the leash seems pretty darn long. If you read the book of Job and all that Job lost, you think, God, how could you let something like that happen? But at least God stepped in and said, you can't kill him. There was, a, there was a limitation, and so just in a basic sense, there is a limitation t- to Satan's influence and his power. And essentially, and we're going to get to this, uh, he, Satan was judged by the recovery of everything that Job lost. Job won in the end. He, he regained family and Property and he, the blessings were way more than what he started off with. We judge Satan with every victory that we ha- we make as Christians. When you when you get saved, you judge that enemy. When you when you quit some bad habit, when you when you come to church like today on a beautiful day, Satan is judged. When we worship, Satan is judged. It's a judgment against his uh, kingdom. And so it's why it's important to be in this atmosphere today. Uh, and then let's close with and continue reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 13 again. Oh, I guess I wrote this one out for you. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And again, that's possible for us to do. Stand, therefore. Stand, therefore. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. In other words, God has given us everything we need to be overcomers. There's two kinds of people in the, the, the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Those who are overcome and the, those who are overcome and those who are overcomers. We're not at the mercy of the king of the devil in the kingdom of darkness. We can walk in victory. Amen. And whoever's going to come at the end, you can do that. John, I don't know if you had a plan. I guess we didn't talk about that, but I think he can do it. Don't you? I think he's capable. Yeah. But we need a basic understanding of who the devil is if we're going to walk in victory. And uh, again, we don't have to always play defense. Aren't you tired of playing defense? Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, man, are we ever going to see a victory? Are we ever going to get over this or whatever? Let's stand to our feet this morning, and we're going to pick this up next week, and uh, I think you're going to be encouraged by it. I felt when I came into this understanding, it just boosted my confidence level. I thought, oh, I get it now. This was just so helpful to me in my walk, and I hope it'll be helpful to you as we uh, study this, but uh, this morning as we close a uh, couple of things before things get moving make sure you fill out your connection card today, if, there's, if you want to get on the weekly email, or if you want to sign up to help with the DeSmet school deal, there's a table out in the back, you can talk to Merle about what he does at DeSmet school, uh, stop in and uh, see what's going on there. How you can help at the uh, carnival this next week that's coming up. And uh, we're going to pray for Dusty and Arlene. Why don't you two come up and get ready? And uh, there was one other thing that I just now uh, forgot. But anyway, let's pray. Father, we uh, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the victory that we have. That we're we're not subject to the. The enemy's whim—that you've given us a way to walk in victory and walk in faith—and um, I pray, Father, that you would help us to have the proper mindset in this arena. I know there's people in this room that have been kicked around by the best of them, and we've uh, weathered some struggles and always and, and wondered who was winning—the devil or God—and we've really struggled as paul did with the things that i don't want to do i do and the things i do i don't want to do and we've we've tossed all these things around father we just thank you that ultimately yours is the victory we've read the end of the book and we know who wins in the end so father i pray we'd leave here with uh an attitude that god those clouds of inferiority inferiority would just roll away and roll off of us, and we would be able to leave here as a child of God with our our heads held high. You are our glory and the lifter of our heads, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.